What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and all the places you need your music to be. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in-store 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor fastest payouts they help out with automatic splits cover song clearance and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases i dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians bands studio artists DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home, and they also offer label services as well. They've got three different tiers to offer creators that start as low as $22.99 a year. That's just $1.92 per month, and even their top tier breaks down to only $7.50 per month. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper for you. Check out the link in the episode notes. I also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it'll give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their longtime support of this thing. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing, in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, giving it more visibility on the national and international levels. Super helpful in boosting the visibility for this thing, helping strangers find the podcast, and uh, just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. Cannot stress the importance of those iTunes reviews enough. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from. Tell a friend about the podcast. Check out the monthly playlist that I've been dropping every first of the month. Those are available on Spotify and Apple, very spread out genre-wise. And you can find the links for those in the episode notes. Hope everybody is doing well out there. Very stoked to have had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Jordan Krinsky, who fronts and is the songwriter for Portland, Oregon-based indie rock band How Strange It Is. I got turned on to their music earlier this year, and it's been heavy in my rotation since then. Jordan's lens for songwriting is uh, something that resonates heavy, and it was cool diving into his background and talking to him about his process and what has informed his canon and ideas around songwriting. Jordan and I have been DMing back and forth for a while, and we finally ran into each other in person earlier this summer at the Doug Fur 
And uh, he was just very warm from the get-go and someone I was eager to get to know. He was uh, he was so great about answering questions that I wanted to know without me always having to directly ask him. We just got into a lot of things just by way of organic conversations. So I appreciate him jumping on the mics with me. Really stoked on the How Strange It Is music. If you dig what you hear in this episode, be sure to give the band a follow on all the things, stream their music, buy the debut LP in the light of the blistering moon on vinyl and stay tuned for live show dates. And uh, I know this one is coming at you like a day late and the previous week did too. Life is a little wild right now. So I appreciate everybody's patience and the episodes still making sure one comes out each week for you. So just uh, bear with me as uh, as some changes are happening. And uh, with that, we are going to get in to episode 380 with How Strange It Is. The links will be in the episode notes so you can keep up with Jordan and this band and all the other bands that he plays in around Portland as well. And we're going to kick off the episode with the track from How Strange It Is that turned me on to this band. It's off their self-titled EP, and it is called Placeless. Let's do the damn thing. Actually, I think the drummer might be in Maul for, for one of the other bands. Novocaine, mm-hmm. that band. Yeah. Just like a bunch of these like kids are they're like fucking selling out the mission theater and like yeah. playing at the crystal ballroom and stuff now yeah. too. I haven't seen I, I saw Growing Pains at Honey Latte once. Yeah, those kids are so good. 
Um, I shouldn't call them kids because they they're like they grown like up and they're to me. and they're fucking better, <laughs> way better than I am. I'm thirty eight. Um, <laughs> they're fucking kids I'm, I'm, to me. Hey, I'm thirty one, man. I, I feel you. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Like I I bought a pedal from Carl, the guitar player of uh, of Growing Pains, and like I don't know, just had like a long chat with him, and I also kind of knew already that he had gone to School of Rock, which uh, actually Annie, who plays bass in how strange it is plays like works there. And, uh, my housemate, Nathan, whose band is pile up, who I also like play with. He also works there, but my friend Sonia from alien boy used to work there and was like teaching Carl guitar. And I love her story, her story about it. Cause she was just like, yeah, Carl got better at guitar than me. So then I just like, they started asking just like how to be in a band, you know? <laughs> um, but it's cool to see just like, you know, my peers, like helping these like younger kids like figure it out you know because starting a band like booking shows you know a lot of it is just like watching other people doing it and being like you know i i I guess i could do that too how hard could that be you know that's like how i got into it you know especially with booking when i moved here in 2015 maybe like 2016 or 2017 a friend of mine from the east coast hit me up because some of his friends in this band i like what are they called I can't remember what they're called, but some of his friends were in a band that were coming through on tour. And he was like, do you know who could like book a show for these guys? And I was like, I think I could do it. I was like, I've never booked a show before, but like, (laughs) I know like all the different houses that like have shows. I know like a bunch of bands, like how hard could it be? I'll just like ask if I could have a show at this house and get a bunch of bands together. And it ended up working out. And then I was like, whoa, this is easy. And from there, just like I started booking shows kind of like all the time and uh, you know, since like 2018, I've like lived in a house where I could host. So I've been yeah. having, having house shows for a long time now. I think that's like the fun thing of sticking around a city for like a long time too. Mm-hmm. You get to like kind of see the different evolutions of it. And like, you get to see like the younger people coming up that are maybe like five to 10 years younger than you mm-hmm. and seeing what they're doing and like seeing where they're playing and then helping them with whatever they need mm-hmm. to try to get going. And yeah, it's like such a big part of like the DIY part of doing everything, totally. like especially early on. And I love the, like, I don't know, the common thread with at least like my musical experience. Like, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania and I, you know, grew up going to see like, like emo bands and like, hardcore bands and stuff, you know? Um, and when I moved to Portland, you know, I found that scene of people here and I was like, Whoa, this is like a lot smaller of a scene than I thought it was, you know? Cause like in Philly and like, you know, I went to Penn state and in state college, there was just like, it was like such a hot topic, you know, there was like so many of these bands and coming out here, I was like, Whoa, there's like only like a few. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's fun. It's weird that it was kind of weird to me, I think, coming up here from Southern California, where it's also just like this hotbed for pop punk and emo mm-hmm. and hardcore music, like everywhere. And there isn't as big a scene for that here. It's more like the indie, like psych rock and the the garage stuff. And like, there's always been like a very heavy, like, like metal scene mm-hmm. in Portland, but it's been very cool every once in a while to like find bands like growing pains or, or well, yeah, something and that, along I mean, those that's lines. Like, I, I think that's what I'm getting at. It's like, it's cool to see like, you know, eight years later after I've moved here to see like with kids 
that are the age that kind of I was when I moved here, like playing these huge shows, playing the music that I like really, really loved at the time, you know, like it's cool to see it come, like kind of come into like into vogue in that age range. Um, and it's like, you know, I went and saw or pile. I played a show with pile up at, uh, what is it? Lewis and Clark. And we played with this other band, which is like also in that same scene. I can't fucking remember what they're called though. Um, but I was watching them and I was like, God damn it. This band sounds like mineral, which is like this like old head, like nineties emo band. I don't know know if you ever listen to them, but yeah, it's just like so, so cool to see like those cycles and things coming back around and those influences, like, you know, peeking their head out, um, from places that I, you know, wouldn't necessarily expect, especially after like, getting so deeply involved in the Portland scene and, you know, recognizing how like, you know, psych rock takes over and like indie rock takes over in like such a big way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what was, uh, growing up in Pennsylvania, did you get hooked into playing music at a pretty young age? It's, it's funny. I like, I guess I, I wasn't really like playing in, I never played in bands really until I moved to Portland, Okay, but I was always, around it um and i was always like playing music like my dad's a bass player and like played in bands when i was growing up my brother's a drummer so like my earliest memories of like going to shows um outside of like going to like the bar like a bar to see my dad's band play was when my brother was in the eighth grade we went to like this high the high school that we all went to was this weird school that was like in the middle of a state forest in pennsylvania that was fed by a bunch of these gated communities that used to be summer communities for people from New York. So it's this weird school that was like in the middle of a state forest being fed by a bunch of inner city people. So it was like a really diverse school, but it was also kind of like sparsely populated. And there was like a middle school and a high school that were connected. So my brother, when he was in the eighth grade, he was like the only <laughs> drummer at this school. <laughs> so like some high school, like juniors and seniors had a band and he started playing drums in this band and you know since my dad plays music and he had all the stuff they would practice at our house so you know if my brother was in eighth grade what are you when you're in eighth grade 13 so i was like eight you know and i was like hanging around a band practice and my dad would like go to the shows with them and like just bring his sound equipment and him and his friends would do sound because they were like so stoked to be a part of it that's right um so i was always tagging along and i was going to these shows they were kind of like uh like almost ska you know like okay. pretty close to being ska yeah. but like uh without horns you know yeah. um but they were playing in these you know in some pretty cool like like all ages spaces like there was this place called toast in our hometown that was like this coffee shop that would be turned into like an underage club at nights and have shows and i just like remember never feeling cooler than like like tucking myself into the crowd, watching my brother's band play, like being protected by his friends while there's like a pit next to me. Yeah. And I was like, man, <laughs> this is it. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's cool, man. So I'd like gave you just from a very young age, you knew that this was like something people did and you could see how it was actually happening. If you, if you did want to play music. Yeah. It was yeah. Like and there. I mean, I was like jamming around with my friends and stuff and nothing really nothing really ever like stuck outside. I, I kind of like lived far away from everybody else. Um, and I lived in a pretty rural place, so I wasn't really able to like kick it until yeah. I had a car, you know? Yeah. Um, which like, as I reflect on it is, was like kind of a fortunate thing for me. Cause the summers where I was kind of stuck at home, like before I could drive or when I like taught myself how to play the guitar and taught myself how to like start recording music and stuff. That was the first instrument, the guitar? No, it was piano, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I took piano lessons as a little kid. Um, 
but I was all, I was in like, you know, I was in band. I played the saxophone. I like sang in choir. I like did plays and stuff like that. I did kind of like everything. Always comfortable with like in a performance type space. Mm-hmm. I mean, not always like comfortable, comfortable, but it was a thing that I liked to do. You enjoyed it. You yeah. weren't being like pushed into it necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it was something that my like parents really encouraged. And there were like a couple situations where I was like, I'm going to quit choir. And my mom was like, no, you can't. <laughs> like you're going to regret it if you do. And I'm, and, yeah, I'm glad that she like got me to stick around in it, you know? But yeah, I like definitely developed like a real like desire to, to perform, you know, and always yeah. wanted to be in a band, but it just like didn't, it took a really long time for that to actually come to fruition. You yeah. Know? I would imagine those choir chops, you know, those help a little <laughs> bit when you're playing in other people's bands and you're singing harmonies yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, I didn't really get like reconnected with like DIY music until I was in college. You know, I like went to Penn state, which is like a fucking massive school. There's like, I think there were like 8,000, people in my freshman class or something like that um and you know that was like overwhelming for me I did kind of like the almost kind of normal like freshman in college thing but I had like some other friends like one of my like best friends my friend Michael his older sister was the president of this music club called the asylum that was like kind of like throwing emo and like hardcore shows so I was like going to football games but then I would like go to a house show yeah you know um and then by the end of college, there were some, like my friend Craig was, was throwing a bunch of shows and that's like, honestly, what like really changed things for me. Like Craig was throwing shows and my friend Benson, who used to play synth in, uh, in how strange it is, they were throwing shows and like, I don't know, they they were like, Craig was bringing a bunch of bands from like Philly and Pittsburgh and New York. And I saw like, you know, like Alex G in Benson's living room, oh, you know, like that okay. sort of shit. Yeah. And that's, that was when I like really realized like, oh, like this is an attainable thing like to play in these spaces. These people aren't like virtuosos, you know, they're just like playing music that is like slackery and fun and people are still really enjoying it. Like mostly just because it's fucking loud. Yeah. (laughs) And I really like, I found myself really attracted to that energy and wanting to like be a deeper part of it. But at the time I like didn't, really know how and when I moved to Portland and started getting my footing that's what I kind of like figured out over time you know so were you writing much music prior to moving to Portland mm-hmm. I was kind of like always just like writing songs on my guitar you know was that always kind of like when you when you were playing guitar was that more from that angle of like a songwriter rather than like a shredder type yeah I mean it was just like you know like anything you start to you start to get your footing with it. You start to like figure out how to do it. Um, and a lot of that was just like playing covers and stuff for myself in my room, yeah. you know? And then over time I started, you know, writing more songs and figuring out how to write songs. I'm still figuring out how to write songs, you know? <laughs> um, but as time has gone on, I've like also, yeah, figured out more of the recording stuff. And, you know, I think, I think the biggest change was just like finding people to play with yeah. that were like in close proximity to me yeah. that I could play with a lot and like really like, like hone, hone my chops in that way. Yeah, for sure. And like, uh, were you kind of learning how to record just so you out of necessity to try to like put your ideas down yeah. kind of thing along the way? Yeah. I mean like I did a lot of like in high school, I did a lot of like garage band and like, like that's how I learned how to kind of do like some MIDI key sort of stuff. And yeah, when I first got an iPhone, which is 
crazy to think about that I didn't have like a smartphone until I was a junior in college, but I like got an iPhone and it had, it had like the GarageBand app on it. Yeah. And I would, I was like recording a bunch of stuff on that, but I had like also, <laughs> I just like didn't know what direction to take when I was trying to do some of this stuff earlier on. Like I remember like my first attempts at recording, I like downloaded, I must've been, I must've been like 15 or something. And I downloaded a, like a cracked version of Fruity Loops, like yeah. NFL Studio. <laughs> and I was just like, I was so confused. I like, I was like, I just want to make a drum beat. How does the sequencer work? Yeah. Like, why would I ever need a virtual amp? I don't know like <laughs> what any of this shit means. And it was so overwhelming <laughs> that it like, I was like, I, I just need to focus on like the playing the guitar part. I think yeah. this is like, like putting the cart before the horse a little bit. It's funny, like like even earlier than that, a lot of the recording stuff that I figured out was like, we had like this old Casio keyboard, you know, one of the ones that has like all the numbers on the top of it, mm -hmm. so you can punch them in. And, you know, at that point in time, I don't even think I could really play the guitar, but I wanted to, f to figure out how to make like beats or something. And I was like, this is, I wonder if I could like make, like make a, like my own custom like drum beat on here. So I started digging into the manual and realized that I could like make beats and you could actually kind of rec like pseudo record on it too. So I started <laughs> doing stuff like that. Like who knows where that keyboard is, but there's probably some weird songs that I made on there too. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's this whole thing where if you, if you don't know and you don't know who to ask, you know, like you just work with what you got yeah. like in front of you. Um, and I like, I've kind of tried to stand by that philosophy of like working and working within a box, you know, like I'm not a crazy guitar player. I like know my way around a synth and can like play keys. And I, and I, I absolutely see the value in like, like further developing just like mm -hmm. your skills in that way and like taking lessons and stuff. But a lot of the, my favorite shit that I write is like so on accident, you know, yeah. It's that innocence on mm -hmm. something where you're just like, you don't exactly always know what you're doing and that's how you stumble upon something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I love that. I try to like hold on to that and like challenge myself in weird ways by like every time I feel like I am uh, like proficient in something being like, okay, time to jump to something that I yeah. don't know fucking anything about. <laughs> yeah. That's where that desire is born out of. Uh -huh. It's just like, oh, well, I'm going to go mess with this now. And I think that's also just like, super great for advancing the songwriting when you like when you do have some understanding whether it's like expert or novice understanding of like an instrument or software that means that you have like this other thing in the tool belt to like reach into when you're doing songwriting so like it doesn't necessarily feel stale mm -hmm. yeah totally it, like it keeps things interesting it's, it's funny like talking through this because I feel like this is why like a lot of the music I put out, like specifically this last record can feel kind of like chaotic, like, man, the, that, like what a big vibe change, like from song to song in a yeah. lot of cases, because I'm like generally just like, I have like a general idea of like kind of the vibe that I'm going for. But a lot of times, you know, I just, these songs happen on accident, you know, and the vibe happens on accident. And then I try to figure out how they all like fit together. And it can sometimes feel chaotic because I like my influences are all over the place and I feel like I'm getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Well, I think that's cool. Cause I think that you can feel that your influences are all over the place, but I think it feels like all your music like lives together like properly too. Like it, it feels like 
interesting things are happening throughout the record and that there are like shifts, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like it's not the same record or not the same band kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, yeah. like I think it's done really well. Cool, man. I yeah, I fucking that. love your music, dude. Awesome. Like, Thanks so I was much. so blown away. Like when I first went through like the self-titled EP of just like those twists and turns that even happen within that I think there's there's a lot of different vibes that are like, like offered five throughout. songs that sound yeah. like from five different bands kind of <laughs> <laughs> stuff to actually put forth something like that EP. It was something that was kind of like born out of the band that I had, that I was fronting like before How Strange It Is, which was kind of like, it was a band that me and Kyle, who's the drummer of How Strange It Is still, and um, like a couple of our other friends had together. And that was kind of like, you know, we lived together and we moved in together in like 2016 or something. And we were just like playing music together and we were going for this kind of like emo kind of like Matt Throcky shoegaze thing that was like kind of chaotic and like hard. <laughs> and also it's just like writing stuff that I think was too hard for me to play. But I found like my, the music that I was listening to is starting to change. I, yeah, I like found that I was like starting to write these songs that were like a little bit more like indie rock oriented, but also just like a little bit simpler in some ways. And I started to realize that they were like not songs for that band. Yeah. You know, we, we put a bunch of shows in like, what it was, yeah, in like 2018. What band was that? This It was called Wavering. Wavering? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's like two self-recorded demos on Spotify, if you can find <laughs> them. Um, d- don't play them on this place now. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, then, then, you know, uh, COVID happened. So I was just like, you know, recording music on my own. And that, that was like a big step up for like just my ability to demo out by myself, you know, like I was spending a lot of time at home recording music, like figuring out how to use software, just like figuring out recording, just like figuring out, you know, how to efficiently take the ideas in my head and like use like recording software as a tool to kind of like figure out, figure out a full arrangement. And so, you know, when I was writing those songs on my own, it was a lot harder to, uh, to wrap my head around the idea of like these songs being in a full band, you know? Um, so they ended up feeling a lot lighter. I'm like, you know, in this time frame, there's like a bunch of songs that I recorded that like never, they aren't how strange it is songs. Yeah. But these are like the songs that led to that, that initial EP then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was like, yeah, there was like a couple songs born out of that. And then, yeah, yeah. I had like, I think I had like like two songs together and it was starting to feel like it was chill to start like jamming again, you know? Um, so it, it just started with, you know, me and Kyle from my previous band. But yeah, so like we just started getting together and just jamming on these songs, the two of us. Yeah. And I think that, 
that always gives me like a little bit more of a guiding light of like what the vibe is going to be. But it was the first time, like, you know, after being in this other project where we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and working through stuff together, it was the first time I felt like I had a little bit more of a vision on my own, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm a very much so a person that like, like relies on like time and place and like just like the cosmic energy of the universe to like throw things into my lap. So I try not to force things too hard, you know, outside of like writing these songs and having like an intention behind them. Mm -hmm. Like the way like the band came together outside of that was like pretty circumstantial. Like, uh, Simon, who was the first guitarist was just like wavering had played a show with like one of his old bands years ago. And we have like some, some mutual friends and he was moving back from LA and needed a place to live. So I was like moving to like moving to the house. We have an extra room and he's like a great guitar player, but like a guitar player that plays like way outside of the bounds of a lot of the shit that I like listen to. He's like really informed by jazz and like country yeah. and stuff. So you can hear a bunch of these like really cool riffs on that record that I fucking never would have came, came up with on my own. Um, just like really tasteful stuff, really interesting. And it was just like, he was living in the house and I was just like, you want to jam with us? And it just kind of like, it worked and it felt good. And then Annie, who plays bass, my friend Isabel, uh, who uh, from Baby Tooth, if you're familiar with that band. Great, great songs. Um, yeah, she's one of my favorite songwriters. She was living at the house at the time. And uh, her partner, Hugh, who plays drums in Baby Tooth and Front Soft Cheese. Yeah, dude. Hugh's like one of the first people I've met in the like early days of doing this podcast. I had his band Rare Monk. Oh, yeah. On. So like I met Hugh probably like seven years ago Crazy. and was like very stoked about the Soft Cheese stuff. Yeah. Their new record is fucking insane. Yeah, it's, it's great. So good. I'm so glad I got to go um, to that, that farewell soft cheese show. Yeah. It was, the Doug for oh a, yeah, dude. That's where we first met. Actually. That was, yeah. That was when we Crazy. finally met in person. I saw a pile up. Mm -hmm. Oh shit. Yeah. We play that show too. Yeah. Wild. Man, that feels like forever ago. And it yeah. was like, <laughs> like a two months. and a half months. <laughs> yeah, or something. But, uh, but yeah, I mean like he, so he was like coming around to the house a lot. Uh, I don't even think like no one was playing shows yet. So I don't even think I had like met annie yet and i was like yeah i'm looking for like a bass player uh for this band so if you guys know anybody like let me know he was like yeah i think like annie is like looking to like pick up another band and i was like i'll send like give me your number i'll like send her some songs and we'll like jam it out and yeah. i'm just like working out really really well so is this like the first time that you're kind of more around musicians that are playing music outside of like the emo hardcore no, vibe or no okay. no not at all i mean i think I first really got exposed to that, like in, in college, you know, yeah. I, like I talked about that music club. I ended up being like deeply in part, like involved in that music club, like, you know, which was all like emo and hardcore oriented. And there was this other music club called Soma that was like kind of not like the rival music club, but they were like the indie music club and we were like the emo and hardcore <laughs> music club. And all my homies that I was like in, uh, in the asylum with, like, graduated and I went an extra semester and I had like known all the dudes, like the, the kind of like the officers in this other club mm -hmm. and was like friendly with them and had been to some of their shows and stuff. But then when like all my like closer friends moved away, I just started hanging out with those dudes all the time. And I'm like close friends with a lot of those people still. I mean, like I said, Benson is like, was like literally in, in this band. Yeah. Um, he was actually like the last one to join after, you know, we had four people and I knew I wanted to have a synth player and he's like the best synth player I know. So I asked him to be in the band, but yeah, like when I started hanging out with those dudes, like they were also throwing like, like hardcore and like really heavy shows, mm -hmm. but 
also like that's what exposed me to a lot of this like weird indie shit that was going on in Philly at the time um, that was like kind of crossing over from being like emo stuff into what is a lot of like the music that I'm really into now. There's this like record label called Ranch Records that put out like a bunch of like really weird interesting albums in like the like the early 2010s um like they put out the first spirit of the beehive stuff i'll just like never forget going to this show at uh this place called the golden tea house in philly um it was like this kind of like it was this place that i'd heard out heard about a bunch you know i had been to some house shows in philly but like we went to the to go to this show because it was like a ranch record show that they were throwing that like spirit was playing and displaying Nah, which was kind of the first. Nah is so cool. It's like, have you ever listened to yeah, that before? Yeah, Nah's rad. <laughs> yeah, and, and I saw Nah, and I was like, I've never seen anything like this. It's just like a dude, like, with like an SPD and like a bunch of like sequencers and, and synthesizers playing the drums along with it. It was just like, I, I had like no even like remote understanding of like techno music or like, you know, noise music or anything yeah. like that. And it was this chaotic thing that I had never seen before. I just remember going to the show and just being like, this is like this, this is like turning my brain into this like whole different thing, like opening up these doors that are like connecting what were seemingly like really compartmentalized types of music. Like I would never like put, you know, a, like emo bands in the same box as like, I don't know, as like shoegaze or like anything that like is influenced by like psychedelia or anything like that. Yeah. And a lot of those bands like, like, kind of blurred those lines for yeah, me Yeah, for sure i think even like even more in something that's like in the mainstream from that geographic region is like a band like circus survive mm -hmm. it's like dude totally always blurring those lines of like prog and emo uh -huh. together yeah you know and like songs that would just like go off the deep end and just like the artwork behind it too was mm -hmm. always like very intertwined and felt very psychedelic at times mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think, like, with this particular scene in Philly, it, like, thrived off of the lack of the sheen that a band like Circus Survive has. It, like, thrived off of, like, the gritty and just, like, dirtiness of it all. Yeah. Like, like just, like, the trash, like, living in, like, a shitty punk house. Yeah. Like, slamming a bunch <laughs> of people into a basement. You know, like, the first shows I went to in Philly were at this place. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. But it was, like... It was a, like a basement spot. Oh, it's called The Nest. That's right. And it was this basement spot where like, I think the upstairs neighbors were deaf. So they could just have like, they could have just like the loudest shows. And I remember them just being like the craziest, most chaotic shows that I had like ever been to. But it's just like, you know, I'd like been involved with this like smaller scene in state college that was still driven by a lot of like the normal like emo shit that I was into and like going to Philly where there was just like a ton of people just like pushing the bounds and making like weird yeah. ass shit. Like that, that's what really opened my eyes to like more of the chaos. I think that you hear in a lot of this music, but also like after that, there's like a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like much gentler influences like on a lot of the how strange it is stuff that are, like a big part of like my, like my later time in Portland and like starting to just like calm down and like yeah. listen to music that's not all loud and chaotic. It's like know? a lot of songwriting or songwriter type stuff or some of it, a lot like, like some like lighter indie stuff that I think what I thought was like really 
soft, you know, when I was in college or like even just like stuff that is like finding beauty in like the simplicity of some songwriting, mm -hmm. like bands like level up yeah. that are doing like, like, like really cool, interesting things, but not overcomplicating their songs, you yeah. know, that was kind of like Pine Grove for me. It was like that band that yeah. did that for me. I'm just like so simple all the time. Actually, yeah, now that I think about it, they're also a, like a band like that. You know, they're from New Jersey, so they were yeah. also playing like in, in State College too. But yeah, I like I think of like Level Up and like getting into some like real softer stuff like uh, like Florist and mm -hmm. like Lamelda and like, mm -hmm. band, like lots of stuff off Double Double Whammy because I got really into Level Up and then I made the connection to double double whammy and started listening to like all of those bands and like the bands that like started there, like Frankie cosmos and stuff like that, yeah. that like, if you showed that shit to me when I was in college, I would have been like, this is fucking soft as hell. Yeah. I'm not listening to this. What are you listening to? It's funny when, like how things will hit you at different times. You uh -huh. know, there's like bands that I hated and now like, you know, they're just bands that I like love. And yeah. I'm, I mean like even with level up, like I like dated a girl that was really into level up and I was like, this band sucks. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why Amazing. you like this band. And then like, I just got exposed to it more and more. And I was like, actually, these songs are catchy, you know? And like, there's also some like good, like heavy stuff there. And a lot of like really relatable, like lyrical content. That's like not trying too hard, you know, mm -hmm. like that, like kind of slackery shit. That's just like talking about life and, you know, uh, like really just like putting you in the shoes of like the person who's doing it mm -hmm. or like the person who's singing it. Absolutely. Like where it doesn't have to be this like complicated poetic thing. It can be something simple as like, I think there's a lyric that's like, I think I need a, I think I need a soda and an order of fries to get by. Yeah. And I'm just realizing now that I like kind of ripped that lyric off in a song off of the EP. Um, I said, there's a line where I say, I think I need, I think I need a bagel and a coffee to wrap him, to wrap me in their arms. That's like a, <laughs> that's, that's a moment, you know, in your songs though, that like I remember or like sticks out to me, you know, it's like this very like sort of specific thing, but also not at the same time. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's just like, Oh, cool. Just everyday life shit. Like that doesn't even need to like have anything to do with the rest of the lyrics on the song necessarily. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I like, I think of like a, like a really difficult thing for me with songwriting is like, just like the, the feeling of being perceived, you know, the feeling of mm -hmm. like people, the fear of having lyrics that are like too obvious, you know, that, uh, that just like to the point where it feels cringy, but like a lot of music that I've felt really connected to over the years, like uses words that make me feel connected to it and brings up situations that make me feel really connected to them. And I think that's like something clicked in my brain through both that and through like, I don't know, like some other, like, like I did a songwriting workshop with Phil Elverum from uh, Mount Erie. And uh, that's something he really harped on was just like using these like little bits and moments to mm -hmm. like, like put you in the feeling without like telling you how to feel, you know? Absolutely. Um, it's the best. Yeah. And I like that also like, that sort of thing has helped like a lot of music that I like, again, didn't understand why people were so into like silver juice and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like first time I heard silver juice, I was like, this dude's voice sucks. Why does anybody <laughs> like this? These songs are not that good. And you like listen to the way D David Berman says shit and like what he says. And it just like, 
it paints like a, like a much more complex picture than I think some of the other stuff that I'm describing here, but like, it's still so frank and doesn't need to hide behind like crazy production or like a good voice. It's unique in its delivery. Yeah. Yeah. It feels so genuine and that's what makes it like so easy to, to like it and embrace it because there's like, there's no fakeness to it at all. Yeah. It all makes a lot of sense though, as far as like, um, the waves that you've kind of gone through is, and you know, really enjoying the elements of like chaos and noise and music, mm-hmm. but then also enjoying some of this softer indie stuff. Cause I feel like your, your music, the how strange it is stuff, like really strikes like a good balance between those things where when I'm listening to the EP or listening to this, like more recent full length, I can hear the songs in them, mm-hmm. but then there's also these moments of chaos, you know, mm-hmm. that like exist in it. And like you were talking about, you know, just how there's, there's a lot of different feels on the record. And I think that's, yeah, that's just like such a good thing. Or I remember when I heard Placeless for the first time and I was like, man, this is a really fucking good song. And it was like, the type of song that made me like very interested in listening to the rest of your music. And like, I wanted to like give it that time to listen to it front to back and, you know, like listening to, to Flora and just the like way you open up that EP is just like, I love how much you, uh, like build things up and like the development of that song. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like there's a lot of patience in opening up that collection of tunes and as soon as it like starts to build up, you like suck the air out of everything mm-hmm. at the end, you know, <laughs> like, and it's uh, like, I think that's like a very cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like some intention in that and some just like, I don't know where to go. From here, so it's over, you know? <laughs> funny you bring up placeless because like or i mean it's not funny because I, I like that song but uh but it also like reminds me of kind of this like other element that was also has also like came in as like an influence a little later in the game like getting into like kraut rock and like you know also like some dance music and stuff shit that's like really really repetitive um mm-hmm. you know i like it's like the antithesis of like a lot of the other shit that I like, you know, like if you listen to like a spirit of the beehive song, the songs are like five different songs in one. Yeah. That band thrives on just like incredible transitions. Yeah. And then like, I don't know, uh, 
me and some friends are doing an LCD sound system cover band for Halloween. And I've been listening to these songs and they're fucking seven minutes. And they're like so repetitive, the same shit over and over again. And there's like, there's so much beauty in both of those things. There's like this amazing thing that happens when something is really repetitive. Like if you're listening to like Noi or like Corridor, if you've ever listened to that band, I have not. Dude, if you've never listened to Corridor, okay. listen to Corridor. All right. Um, they're it's on like, my list. yeah, they're this, this, uh, they're kind of like, it's like crowdy and like angular guitar, like post-punk sort of stuff. Uh, it's these dudes from Quebec and they like sing in French. And it's like oh, really yeah, right. pretty, but stuff like that, where it's just like, I love that it's in French specifically because I don't know what the fuck they're saying. Yeah. And then and, the vocal just becomes another instrument. Uh huh. But it's just like, it kind of, it like does this thing where it entrances you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this idea of like entrancing you for a little bit and then just like totally fucking destroying yeah, that, absolutely. you know, um, at like balancing those two elements is, is hard though, you know, because I like, you know, a lot of these songs are like they start as just like you know me playing an acoustic guitar and sometimes that's a riff sometimes that's like me just writing a like a sad boy acoustic guitar song um or like you know like me writing a demo about like a breakup or something like that or like just like an like an experience with a girl you know Mm -hmm. and i never want that I, i like i have this thing where i just like never want to be I never want wanted to be like sad guy heartbreak music, but I want it to ha- to like I want you to feel it in there a little bit. You yeah, know? <laughs> you're doing a good job of masking it somewhere in there, you know, just subtly dropping it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also, like all the I don't know, like on the on the EP, just some of the vocal samples that you incorporate. Like I don't know if it's like from movies or like film. Like thinking about like Lorimer Street. Oh yeah, that's uh. Like at the end of that, that's a, it's a clip of Frank O'Hara. He's this, uh, this poet from like this mid-century poet from New York. He's like a pretty popular poet, but he was like, uh, God, what was he? He was a curator at MoMA and he wrote all these, these just like beautiful love poems while he was like working at like the Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. And I don't know, I have like an interesting relationship with New York because like my parents still live really close to there. And uh, so every time I go back to the East Coast, I pretty much always am hanging with friends in New York. And there's something about just like his word usage and like the beauty and like what he has to say. It like feels, I don't know, it just feels so warm. And he does a good job of putting words to feelings that I have trouble like verbalizing you know mm-hmm. I think like a big thing with me for music is like I'm good I feel like I can talk a lot you know but I don't always feel like I can properly say what I'm trying to say <laughs> um and music has always been the has been the thing that as time goes on I feel like I can more completely say what I'm like trying to say and how and how I feel but having those like little samples and clips like that in Larmer Street are like a nice little additional way of like if my thought wasn't fully complete, here's someone that does it a little bit better than me. <laughs> it seems they were all cheated of some marvelous experience, which is not going to go wasted on me, which is why I'm telling you about it. So is that like the situation with a song like that, where you kind of had this completed track and then you add that in as a part of the production, or is that something where like that particular piece 
informed what you were writing about in that song or that just like that particular thing was like it added right at the end whole song was done being recorded and was pretty much mixed and i was like i want to add this at the end like specifically because that song is about like a romance in new york city and it felt right you know (laughs) um but uh but yeah a lot of like the other stuff like all the samples in in like flora for instance Mm -hmm. that that song is just like a mismatch of like I made I made like a fun little like loop during the forest fires in like 2020 of like being in like northwest Portland and it looking like fucking Blade Runner. Yeah. Um and I was like, I wanna make this like ethereal escape that like kind of describes this in some way. Um, even though the words have nothing to do with that. But all of like the the clips from that, like uh my friend Kyle who is not the drummer of How Strange It Is, but he's the drummer of Yellow Room, which is a band that I play bass in, uh, which is uh, Annie, other Annie, who plays lead guitar in How Strange It Is Now. Um, it's a band that I've been in with her and uh, like her partner Kyle for a long time. Uh, it's, I guess, the longest running band I've been in in Portland. Okay. Um, and Kyle's like a huge, like, like lo-fi 90s indie rock guy. So he's like all of this, just like, just like old cassette tape based equipment you know, so I borrowed like just like this old Panasonic tape recorder from him because I knew I wanted to include some weird tape samples on the on like that EP. So I just started carrying it around with me everywhere I went. Like, like I, <laughs> I went on our first date to the Oaks Park roller skating rink, and I was like, I hope this if this girl is not cool with me bringing this tape recorder and making a bunch of weird samples at like at the roller skater skating rink she's on probably, your first date yeah she's probably not for me as it <laughs> yeah. is um but it ended up being organ night so i got like all of that organ stuff that's on that's on the ep is like the or like just me recording the organ guy oh, at amazing. oaks park while i'm like roller skating around you know and i like just carried it around with me for like a week and was like just kind of like interviewing my friends and also just like driving and just like talking to myself, you know, just like saying some weird shit. And it ended up being like creating this, this cool, like time capsule of like the time when I, when I was recording that, you know, I like think about it now and I can like clearly see all of those situations because I remember the exact things that people said at certain times. Like, I think, uh, there's like one part where my friend Vanessa says like, she was telling me about these tacos that she got and the clip that's like on floor is like best tacos in town. You know, we were like at, at dinner at like a Thai restaurant on like 70th and Sandy or something. Like that. <laughs> and I can like, I'm sitting at that table right now and I can yeah. like see myself shoving this like weird little microphone in my friend's face. And I don't know, that's what kind of like my music ends up being for me at least is like a journal. It's like a really nice slice of like a place in time for, for me. Yeah. I think it really like captures a feeling too. Like even if you're not there, it like creates like such a world to like dive into when you're listening to the music. Yeah. It's like such a cool element of like to go along with the instrumentation, I think cool. to have yeah. those things. I'm glad it comes through that way. Cause it, to me, I'm just like, this is chaotic, but this is, that's yeah. me, you know? Well, it's like, I don't know. I think that's, yeah. What makes the, the delivery of everything unique or like makes it how strange it is. It's like having those recordings, like no one else has those recordings. Like I can go record a bunch of different shit too, but they're going to be different moments that we mm-hmm. record, you know? So yeah. I think that's cool to ha- to have that. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I actually, it's funny. I like, 
I actually ended up dipping back onto that that cause like I, I think I filled up just like one or two cassettes when I was like doing that recording mm-hmm. and I actually ended up like dipping back into that when I recorded this record there's like I forget what I ended up calling it but whatever like the intro to head holder is like there's like a whole track that's an intro and there's like a bunch of just like rain in the background I just like pulled a bunch of rain from yeah. from that cassette and it sounds so good because it's just like kind of tapey and weird but also you can just like you know hear the rain going off the like the front awning of my house and I live like right next to the highway so you can hear like the cars going past and that's like I think like a really common thread in a lot of my music it's just like I talk about the I talk a lot about like the house that I live in you know yeah but the highway that's nearby like the droning of the cars you know and it's like an old house there's just like bugs everywhere like (laughs) there's like spiders and ants and stuff I realized both the EP and the album have like a song about the bugs in my house or like a line <laughs> about the bugs in my house. And I'm just like sitting there coming up with lyrics and I see like a spider on the ceiling. They're like, like ants getting into my tea or something. So bug was not just a clever name. It's a real thing. You know? No. Yeah. That was like, definitely like I was coming up with that and I was just like, they're my friends. They're here. They're here to stay. You know, like even if I put them outside, they come back in. So, you know, yeah, that's, <laughs> that song ended up being kind of funny, but, um, well, and just like talking about like, like specificity, like with l- lyrics and stuff, that's one, that bug song when I'm like listening to, I feel like that, uh, that line about Minnesota, like on Minnesota, uh-huh. like every, every time that pops up, it's like a moment I, I'm either like looking forward to, or just like sticks with me every time. Uh-huh. And it's just like, I don't know. I think it's just I, I love when people mention specific places or, or that things is like that. You know, and, and so it's uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that that like instantly kind of like takes me there, even if I don't know that place. sort of stuff too and that's a, yeah those are like definitely the the kind of devices that I like am trying to use more often like it's so easy to to hide behind obscure language and like try to make this like I guess I talked about before like this like like overly poetic thing that mm-hmm. like shields the shit that I'm like the real feelings behind it and the shit that I'm talking about yeah but if I can like grasp that feeling in myself and apply it to like an inanimate object or like a situation, you know, like in, I think my favorite one off of the, like this album was in, oh God, what's this? Uh, Another Gold Day in the first track. Um, I, I'd say like to Madrona City Park, free Slurpee day. 
because there's like literally a day where me and my friend were playing basketball in Madrona Park, like by Adidas in North Portland. And I was like having a bad day. And I was like, we should go get Slurpees. And we went to go get Slurpees and they were free, you know? Um, But that's just like beautiful. The thought of that just makes me so happy. And I've had so many people like, like bring that line up to me. Um, And I love that, you know, because it's like, again, tethered to this like very real moment in my life and a very real feeling in my life. And I feel like I can, I can feel that listening to it one because I lived that experience, Mm -hmm. but like, I feel like the vibe surrounding that and like the instrumentation and everything along with the lyrics, like really feels like that moment to me and allowing myself to be that real without having to like be so obvious in what I'm saying, you know, like Mm -hmm. I was having a bad day and this was a nice thing that made me feel better. You know, it like allows me to be obscure and also still like get that feeling across so I can like have both at once, which is nice. Yeah. It's also cool because it like, it almost feels like something that would be like really insignificant to the listeners to like that specific line. But Mm -hmm. it's often like, it feels like it's those things that people like really latch onto. Mm -hmm. Like even if they don't really understand that specific moment through your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I hate to be, like, too over, like, explanatory of the music, but also people that are, are like, willingly cryptic and refusing to describe things, like, I understand, but also yeah. I just don't fucking care. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that, that opening track, Another Gold Day, also kind of, like, has a similar spirit to Flora as far as, like, it's very clearly, like, clear to me that that is the opening track, you know, and it, like, really creates the world, except... This time, I feel like with another gold day, you found this like really cool way to bridge the gap into that that second track where it's like very seamless and just goes goes right into control in such a cool way. It's like another moment that like really sticks out to me on that record. Yeah, and that's like it. It is funny that you like draw that like comparison between the two because it very much so is the case. It has like it does also have that chaos. It also has like a clip of like me and my friend Isabel, my friend Teal, just like walking around in like May of 2020 or something, just like talking about nothing, you know, and like just transcending into this chaos of like, man, recording the, like the trumpet and the clarinet in that part was like the funnest thing ever. Cause like uh, my friend Ellie, who plays trumpet, has played trumpet on all this stuff, um, was just like, you know, going off, just playing the most chaotic trumpet thing they could play. And then I had kind of made a new friend in this dude, Caleb, who plays in like, uh, his band is called Tony Horses. Um, and he plays in like Ashtray Jr. and swinging like a bunch of other bands. But he was telling me that he wanted to play clarinet. Uh, he was trying to play more clarinet. And I was like, dude, I think, I think there could be space for clarinet on this. Like, come over. And he starts doing this just like fucking chaotic like squawking clarinet i was like dude we have to like have to put this in the spot it feels so good and i don't know one of my favorite things ever is like we're we're practicing for the release show and he's trying to we realized that like ellie was going to be playing keys for this part so he needed to switch from clarinet to guitar and he was like i don't know i don't have like a clarinet stand so i don't know how like smoothly i can make this transition and i was like we can like why don't you bring a pillow and you can just like toss it down on the pillow or something and he was like I don't want to break it and then I was like wait a minute and I realized I had like 
sent back my childhood clarinet from like the fourth grade and if like had it don't use it and i was like dude what if we bring in the dummy clarinet and you smash my fourth grade clarinet so at the at the release show during that part he just like full fucking destroys his clarinet it's like my (laughs) it's like my favorite uh my favorite thing ever so good yeah inform the way you wanted to make in the light of the blistering moon and the first like full length record from this project and or like was there a different approach to making these songs that you hadn't taken before i think for one like a big realization that i had was that if i want to create a lot and if i want to feel engaged I need to set deadlines for myself or like at least just like set dates that I need to work towards. Cause I found that like when we were working on this EP, like we had worked on those songs for a really long time. And then we like went to the studio and it was just like, I was like, I want to put this out as soon as fucking possible. So we like went to the studio, recorded them. I was like working with, uh, with Vin who is, uh, like has engineered and engineered and like helped produce both records. And to, I also play in like another band, uh, his band is called nothings. But like I was working with him just like as quick as possible to just, just get it finished and get it pushed out, you know? And I realized that that felt like really good yeah. to take these things I'd been working on for a long time. Like some of those songs that I had written like two and a half years prior mm-hmm. to like, just like make this push to like get them complete. And I realized how much I like being closer to the feeling of that I had when I wrote the song, when I actually released it out to the world. Yeah. And like with this last record, I like knew I wanted to put out a full album this year, but I didn't have the songs for it really. Like I had some songs. We had like a couple, I think we were playing Head Holder and we were playing uh, Home Life like at our live shows. But those were the only two songs that we had. And I was like tinkering around with some other stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to book studio time for like December and I'm just going to write as many songs as I can. And I think like working on that first EP also like, you know, I realized what my workflow was like and what things to focus on, what things I also like wish I would have spent more time on, like specifically vocals. So we like recorded the vocals for the EP at the studio and for this whole album, I recorded them all on my own. Like I have a decent enough recording setup at home, but that allowed me to just like really scrutinize like the lyrics and my delivery and just kind of like do it on my own and like spent, I spent hours and hours doing it until I got it like pretty perfectly right, you know, but 
yeah, ultimately I ended up like, man, in the span of like two months, I wrote like six songs and like Rush taught them to everybody or not even to everybody. Like, uh, Annie Pfeiffer, like learned some of them on guitar and then we live tracked everything in the studio for the most part, aside from like, uh, heart attack and maybe, uh, oh, and poets. But yeah, everybody just kind of like learned them quickly, which like made it a little bit messier, but it made it like feel more raw and like impulsive, which mm-hmm. I liked. But yeah. And then we, then I ended up like adding poets on after the fact. And I don't know, it just felt, it felt really good to, to like come out of that like two month span after just like going crazy, like demoing on my own and like recording all these songs to having like the bass for what turned into this whole record. It admittedly took me a really long time to get, or not a really long time to get back to it, but it was like, you know, it was December and then I was like, all right, I'm going to come back from like the holidays and like work on this. And then it was January and I was like, I don't want to fucking do anything. I'm depressed as hell. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So it took a, took a bit, but then, uh, you know, I had plans. I like took a leave of absence from work this summer and I had like plans to do this trap, like some traveling and I really wanted to tour. So then I like kind of made the connection like, Oh, if I want to tour, I want to have this album be out. So then like, when like March and April rolled around, I just started like buckling down and working really hard on it to get it finished. Cause we sent out like all the stuff for the physicals, like at the end of May, which was still cutting it pretty close for July. Like I literally received the records the day of our release show, like 11 AM the day, like the day of our release show, I got the record. So it was cutting it really close, but it made it feel so much better to like have done it in that short period of time, gotten it out. And then like, had all this stuff to show for it within like, you know, like an eight month period or something like that, which felt pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. I think that will also inform how I make the next thing too. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think you kind of like keep going towards that approach? Like, do you feel like that kind of relates to what you were talking about earlier about like putting things in a box almost where it's like, I have this amount of time to do this thing Mm -hmm. and then you don't have to worry about continuing to like, tinker with things and Mm -hmm. like giving yourself too much space to fuck with production and things like that. You know, it's not even about giving myself too much space to do that. It's if I don't have a timeline, I'm just not going to fucking do it. Okay. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's that. like, uh, like I literally texted Vin this morning about setting up some dates because I've been like demoing some stuff now and like working on some new songs and I'm not going to, I don't want to do like a full album again just yet. It's a fucking lot to do a full yeah. album, but like, I want to, I want to get started working on another EP and I've been like, you know, each time I've gone through this, I'm just getting like better at demoing stuff on my own. I think I'm going to record a little bit more of it on my own still, yeah. but still like mix with him and have him record drums and some other stuff. But, but yeah, I think like part of it is just like developing my own skills is like, like, and my confidence in my ability to like record stuff that is actually usable, you know? Yeah but also recognizing that like it's worth it to try stuff and scrap it if I don't feel like it's right. Um, and I did a lot more of that on this last record than I, than I did on the EP, which is what I, I I think it feels like a little bit more fully realized and like just like a little cleaner because of that. With the poets track, was it important for you to have something that felt a little more stripped down i know there's a there's a lot going on besides just like a vocal and a guitar but it's Mm -hmm. also like feels like you know it's the maybe the quietest track and it it does have like a very like a singer songwriter feel to it Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that song like 
that came from that same uh, like workshop I did with Phil Alvarum. Um and I'm trying to even like remember what what prompted it, but um, I don't know. I had like kind of came up with that guitar riff when I was like playing another song. And I don't know, it like it came together like most songs that I write do, um, but it didn't feel like it need like there's enough rhythm in like the guitar part, and it didn't really feel like it needed drums or anything like that, you know. Um, I thought it was, I I like that about like releasing such a large number of songs. I mean, like ten, not like ten songs is that many, but having more songs, I felt like there's more space to do something a little lighter, which is like when I'm doing stuff for myself on my own, you know, I'm like generally writing more tender songs because they're like helping me process my own emotions, you know? So it's nice to be able to have something like that in there. But what was really cool about that is I like, you know, had the guitar part, had the vocals and that one I wrote like literally after our first, like, like we did like four days in like a proper studio and I just recorded that in Vin's basement with him. But it was kind of like had vocals, had the guitar and it's just like, I want like, definitely want like some sort of drone in here. And Vin goes into like his back room and pulls out this har- this like old ass harmonium, um, which is like, it's kind of like a, it's a reed instrument, but it's like, it's got keys, but it, it's almost like an accordion kind of. Oh, wow. Yeah, like the back of it, like it has a bladder in the back of it. You kind of pull it in and out to continue this, this like droning sound. And it's like, it was like a gift from like an, like some like, distant friend of his that he got like years ago and you know like just sat on the floor because you have to like kind of use your full body to do it and it just like it was like felt like breathing you know playing it and just felt so perfect to like to fill the space man yeah i don't know like it's nice to be able to interact with that tender side of myself and not feel like it's taking away from like i don't know the heaviness or like the like more rocking parts of the other songs yeah. too it's nice to be able to have that space and like you know acknowledge that part of myself too Jack sings me here shiny been to your development as a songwriter and a musician to also have these opportunities to play in projects where you're not the main songwriter and all these other bands that you're playing in oh it's huge it's like so huge it's like developed my i think i think about like my first band wavering and like the practices that we would have and just like my inability to fucking communicate anything you know um after playing with so many other people, um, like namely like playing with Annie in Yellow Room, and I've like learned so much from her of how to like how to c- 
communicate what you're looking for without like telling someone what to do. Yeah. Um, how to lead a band. Yeah. I mean like, <laughs> and uh, what I love about music so much is like the community aspect and like, you know, while all these songs are like written and like kind of directed by me, like everybody plays their own part and I don't like, there are situations where I'll like write a riff or like be like, this kind of has to be the bass part here because yeah. that's what makes sense. But you know, I want everybody to, to have some input and you know, everybody to be able to, make it feel like it's their own too. Um, and it's like something that we collectively created together and not just something that I made, you know? Yeah. It's like playing in these other bands has like helped me to develop that ability to be able to communicate things in a way that, that allows people to maintain that sort of ownership, you know? And also just like given me more, uh, scope on like arranging. Like I, uh, when we recorded the first EP, like I had known Vin for a while. I'd seen his band Ancient Pools play and like he plays in O Rose too, which is a band that I also love. Um, and like he plays in another number of other bands too. But we realized during that process how like similar our tastes were. And he, you know, had had this solo project, Nothings, that was kind of just like his journal, you know, like the songs that he would make yeah. on his own that he had like never formed into a band. He had, He was like just constantly in other people's bands. And I was like, dude, you should make this a full band. And then he asked me to play lead guitar. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm like not that good of a guitar player. Right. And I've like never seen myself as like a lead guitar player. And I found myself playing with like him and like these other dudes who like, I've really looked up to for a long time musically, who are all like making really cool music on their own. Like CD who plays keys is sawtooths. Liam, who plays the drums, is also the drummer of O Rose, but he has a project called Deja Blue. And then Lathe, who plays the basses, uh, is Lathe and the Texas Birds. If you listen to that band, like awesome, cosmic country. Um, but all these dudes are like, like so incredible in their own respect. And I was like, man, I'm feeling a little out of my depth here. But in like playing in that band, I found that I like, like it like leveled up my guitar playing because I was like, so uh, scrutinizing myself so deeply and like practicing so much but I ended up just like kind of thinking about arrangement and like how the guitar sits in with the other instruments in such a different way that when it's came around to like me writing my own songs and you know, I don't have to do that much with Annie if I'm like being perfectly honest, cause she's just fucking good at the guitar and like, it's so tasteful. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to give her that much direction, but like, you know, as I'm like working, like working with Vin to like mix this stuff together, like, all these experiences like playing in nothings, playing bass in yellow room and, you know, playing the keys and pile up. They've all like informed the like way I make my own music in a different way by, you know, the way I communicate, the way I play, but also just like being influenced by my friend's music, you know, yeah. like my favorite way to like get like deeply intertwined with my friend's music is like playing shows with them. Yeah. You know, like we, this tour that we went on after we released our album, we went on with Baby Tooth because Annie also plays in Baby Tooth and Isabel and Hugh, uh, were, they just moved to Minneapolis. Isabel's getting like uh, a grad degree and we wanted to do this tour together. And I was like, hey, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to play keys in Baby Tooth. Okay. <laughs> um, and Isabel was like, oh yeah, sure. Because, um, you know. I, it's, they're probably the band I've seen the most like yellow room is toured with baby tooth. Um, Isabel is like one of like my best friends. And I was just like, I want to like, I know these songs so well already. I want to play them with you. And I like got to play like their final show, like their release show. And it was just like this really like special, just like 
it felt so right, like like playing that show with them because I'd felt like I was in the band the whole time. But man, talk about having a tough time as your like best friend is moving away, having to like deeply intertwined with yourself with like all of her music. You know? <laughs> um, Just thinking about that hometown track right now. Yeah, oh, hometown, beautiful. It's fun. But yeah, it was so fun playing those, like playing those songs with them on tour and just like, you know, I don't know, getting to, getting to like further intertwine myself with people whose music that I really appreciate. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to actually trying to like resurrect this like EP that me and Isabel made years ago. Cause when she was starting Baby Tooth, she actually asked me to be in the band. And at the time I was like, I don't know if I can join a band where I'm not going to be like a creative element right now. I don't think I have like enough time, but I do want to make music with you. So let's write songs together. Yeah. So we started, uh, this, like this little indie project called skates where we were just writing songs together and we recorded some of the songs and just like never finished it. And we just have like three songs that are like really close to being done that I really want to finish. But I don't know, like all of those experiences have all like kind of, continue to inform like who I am as a musician and like who, who I am as a person, you know, the best thing about like being 31 and playing in four bands with all of your best friends is that you're just hanging out with your best friends all the yeah. time <laughs> playing music. And it's so nice. And I just want to keep doing that. That's rad, dude. I, I just, yeah, I fucking love the music that you're making. Like this, how strange it is stuff is, uh, it's been it's been heavy in the rotation since I found it, and then yeah, I just felt like you really leveled things up with the the full length record. It just seems like yeah, you took some more time, and you you had the opportunity to kind of like dive into more in depth storytelling with the you know the full length record, and got to do things like poets, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, and had that space to be able to put a song like that on there, and just kind of love how many different movements there are in particular tracks. Like I want to play the episode out with heart attack, which is one of my favorite tracks on the record. And that goes back to like some of those specific lyrics when you're talking about the max, you know, Mm -hmm. the Portland public transit (laughs) and riding your bike over the bridge. And Mm -hmm. you know, those, that's another set of lyrics where like, I look forward to hearing that on the, on the track every time or, oh, yeah, you know, man. just Thank another so moment much. that like sticks out to me and yeah, just love what you're doing, dude. Right on, man. That's so cool to hear. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, do you remember anything specific about heart attack? Like what you were going through when you're writing that one or just it coming together? That was another one. <laughs> I, I, I came up with a bunch of these songs at the end by doing this workshop with Phil Elverum. And that one was that he like gave us this prompt to meditate. And then when you came out of your meditation to just like start writing stuff down, like about what came to your head yeah. and like around my, like I live like Minnesota is just like parallel to I five. So if my windows are open, like even in my studio, I can like hear the, hear the highway, but my house is like, if you if you're driving down I five and you see where like Ainsworth crosses over I five and you look to the side you can see just these huge dug furs and there's like five massive dug furs in my yard and I was just like thinking about the highway and the trees and how much I love the trees that was that's my climate crisis song you know <laughs> <laughs> um, just like that kind of overwhelming feeling feeling of just like the helplessness of you know, a bunch of rich people ruining the earth and you have no 
ability to yeah. change that, you know? <laughs> um, which in that case, I think I was cryptic enough. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one also like came from just like, that would have never happened if I didn't like firm up my skills a little bit more with recording. Cause I just like that, like 808 thing that's happening at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I started like, I just made a loop of like, I was just like palm muting this thing on the guitar and I just like made the loop. I was like, I'm going to make this loop and then I'm just going to kind of freestyle sing this like kind of like freeform poetry that I yeah. wrote along with it. And that's what kind of you know, like slowly formed into a song. I added some like more words and um, started to add the instrumentation. And that's like, that's the one song that like is really like produced, which was a fun challenge turning that into like a live performance. I got like a sampler and stuff and I was like, I'm going to practice this so much. I'm not going to fuck this up. And I totally fucked it up. In our <laughs> show. Like, cause I was like tapping. I had like the, the 808s like on the sampler and I was like tapping them in. And I like, I think I turned the delay on or something like that. And every time they were playing back, they were like all delayed. And I was like, Oh no, this is my nightmare. I'm standing in front of all these people with this device that I barely know how to use and it's failing me. I'm like, I'm just going to turn it back off and turn it back on. And I did that and it worked. But. That's amazing. <laughs> I like to think that I handled that with grace, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did a great job. Well, appreciate you uh, taking the time to jump on the mics with me. It's yeah, it's man. rad to like be listening to your music for, I feel like this, this past year and gotten to know it and, um, and then, yeah, getting to, to sit down and pick your brain about it. This is the first time we've had the opportunity to like hang yeah. out and, and chat extensively outside totally. of seeing each other at that, that Doug first show a few mm -hmm. months ago. So thank you for taking the time. Oh yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was awesome. I brought up a lot of memories of things that I haven't really thought oh, about yeah. in a long time. Which That's awesome. Nice. That's perfect. And, uh, I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can, uh, keep up with how strange it is and they can uh, check out all of the other bands that you mentioned throughout this episode Hell yeah! and uh we're gonna play it out with heart attack off that that new full length in the light of the blistering moon you can find that on all the streaming services wherever you listen to music and there's there's vinyl copies of it too you yeah. can cop one of those i'm gonna have to grab one of those next time i see you yeah. for sure absolutely and Jordan, we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program and it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's just the way that my grandfather says the news program, he always refers to it as a program. So if we can get the how strange it is, it's a program. You can deliver it however you would like. We can properly sail this thing out. I'm here for it. Um, it's a program you nailed it everybody that's jordan <laughs> from how strange it is and we're playing it out with heart attack and that is the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland or wherever you are listening from sick man that was fun
Shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with Distro Kid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. Stay up, stay tuned.